Welcome to History in Six, a place where we sample history in six-minute increments. I'm your host, Team Lindell, and today we're going to continue our story of the Roanoke Colony. Time is short. Let's jump into it. Upon returning from his transatlantic journey, Raleigh um, was knighted and given permission to form a colony named after the Queen, a colony named Virginia. Raleigh, a man of action, quickly organized a party that left in April of 1585, just, what, four or five months after returning from his previous venture? The party consisted of six boats, 600 total men, 300 of which were soldiers. Richard Greenville led the party. He was Raleigh's cousin because, yeah, the uh, nepotism was real. Ralph Lane, a seasoned Irish campaigner, he led the soldiers. Also included in the voyage was Thomas Harriet, a friend of Raleigh who was the scientific expert. He knew the native language. He had learned it from Manteo and Wanchis, who had uh, traveled back to England from the first venture. And he was there to learn about the flora, the fauna, uh, the climate, and the geology of the area. Another person of note who attended was John White, an artist who later became famous for his watercolor paintings. They reached Roanoke in July, which took them about four months. I mean, think about that for a second. Can you imagine being on a small ship... I mean, there were six ships, so there's about 100 people per ship, not including the sailors who needed to probably sail it. All on a small, 100 people on a small ship. I mean, how much little room would there have been to move around? And, and sleeping would have been incredibly congested. Uh, a lot of idle time. Man, that, that had to be an interesting or a miserable experience, we should say. Um, what they discovered off the coast of current day North Carolina was the small series of island and sandbars which always makes navigation a, a difficult thing, trying to avoid grounding your ship. But they made their way to Roanoke Island, located in the modern-day Croatan Sound. Um, sounds are the water areas between islands and the mainland. Uh, so this was a fairly well-protected island and a, and a good place to start a colony. The group was able to build a primitive fort on the northern part of the island. In August, Greenville returned to England to report on the progress Lane stayed behind with 107 men to hold the fort. On the way back to England, Green's party raided a 300-ton Spanish ship with about $15,000 worth of cargo, which would be tens of millions of dollars in, in, in current money. Needless to say, the venture was a success and brought huge profits to the investors. But it also brought up an important question. What was the purpose of this journey? Was it to set up a colony? Or just plunder for profit. You know, it's difficult to start a new colony halfway around the world. Even more difficult if all you're doing is trying to make a quick buck. Which brings us back to our fledging colony of Roanoke. Uh, Lane was struggling after they left that fall and winter. He couldn't find a sustainable harbor, so they had to move the fort on the island. And he also found himself skirmishing with the local Indian population. And the primary reason for the struggle was related to the question of the purpose of the colony. Most of these men were on a journey for adventure and profit. They were not looking for a long-term place to live. These were men that were raised in the city. They weren't accustomed to the hardships of living off the countryside. And when they didn't find their mines or other sources of wealth, they were done. They were ready to pack up and go home. It becomes very difficult to maintain any semblance of order when everybody wants to go home. But one important thing did come from this journey. Thomas Harriet wrote a book about the expedition titled A Brief and True Report of Virginia, 
which was published in 1688. It contained his findings along with a number of engravings by White. What made this book important was it contained a number of things. One, it contained a description of the land. It painted a fertile landscape, large forests, uh, various rivers, and a favorable growing climate. The temperatures were mild, long growing season. Um, he also cataloged the plants of the area, corn, tobacco, grapes, sassafras, uh, there were deers, bears, lots of different birds. And he noted the plants with medicinal purposes. Um, he noticed there was plenty of fish, the oysters. He basically portrayed this land as a prime opportunity for not only sustainability, but economic prosperity. He also provided insight into the natives, their life, their social structures, their cultural practices. He described dwellings, clothing, food, uh, the Indian social interactions. Um, he even documented the basic elements of the Algonquin language. Um, he basically presented these natives in a positive light as being very hospitable, uh, their trade practices, and their cooperative attitude. On top of that, we had engravings by White, which gave pictures of the landscapes and natives and wildlife. Really complimented Harriet's written description and made the book all the more convincing and believable. From a historical perspective, this provides a detailed view of North Carolina from this time period, providing a valuable insight into the lives and cultures of the natives, the interactions with the English, and the early stages of colonization. Um, so from a historical standpoint, this was a tremendously valuable book. But for the time, it was a crucial promotional tool for English colonization to America. It dispelled many of the negative stereotypes about America and the natives who lived there, while also painting a rosy and idealistic picture of a new frontier land and its promise for opportunity. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button. I mean, either way, subscribe to get future content. And as always, have a great day if you want to.